Fuck pain, fuck heartbreak. I'm still in love with life. Cultural headquarters of the future capital of the free thinking states of America known as Los Angeles. This is the Drunken Taoist Podcast. Tonight, it's Daniele's triumphant return from his sponsored vacation in Italy as we discuss George Clooney envy rearing its ugly head, living with the fact that if you don't go to church, the devil may get you, Sodom's best citizen offering his daughters up to a sex-crazed crowd, being moved by the bravery behind Michael Jordan's flu game, dreams of baby ninjas, and learning to find joy in the midst of desperation. If it wasn't eclectic, it wouldn't be us. Asking you all to spread the word that corporations are not people, I'm Rich Evers. And my partner in crime, Daniele Bulali, the savage philosopher, the middle finger of the gods. Bury your treasure, put your kids to bed, and most importantly, hide your women. The Drunken Taoist Podcast begins now. Welcome back, everybody. Episode 46 of the Drunken Taoist Podcast as we wind down year number two, fresh back from his awesome vacation to Italia, where he had to weep and watch his country get its ass kicked in the World Cup as well as we did. Daniele Bolelli, welcome back. Yes, Cali love. No, back in Cali. No, this is, Italy was awesome. California is awesome. I have to ask quickly, I saw pictures of the Mediterranean. How do some of our lovelier beaches here compare? The thing is, the ocean out here is beautiful, like from uh, purely from the air. You see the beach out here tends to be bigger, more sand, uh, more space, all of it. Problem is, A, the ocean is cold, the Mediterranean is considerably warm. Right. Problem B, the ocean is full of freaking man-eating sharks. Now, granted, the odds of being eaten by a shark are really small, but there's something about going in the water where I don't know what's there and there you could be the one that, as unlikely as it is, bugs me. The Mediterranean is like a big freaking swimming pool. So and, are, and the sharks don't like the warm water? No, they don't. There's like one that really is like one century pretty much of some crazy case. But for the most part, they don't dig that water. They want the open ocean. So there's that. There's the current is considerably stronger out here than out there. So, I mean, the Mediterranean is great if you want to swim. You know, you can swim without fearing currents too much. Again, you know, I'm sure there's the place where you can drown, but for the most part, it's pretty safe. No things that are going to bite bite your ankles while you're swimming. No, it's so much warmer. So I dig it. One of the minuses is there are a lot of jellyfish. Mm, uh, which do like warm water. Yeah, we need some serious import from Chinese cuisine because uh, jellyfish uh, is very widely used in Chinese cuisine and there's way too many in the Mediterranean. There are also the sea urchins that I remember still when I was a kid when you have these spiky things that Mm -hmm. you step the wrong way and so yeah there are some annoying things but for the most part out here I like breathing the ocean breeze but I don't really hang out on the beach as much. Mediterranean is just freaking beautiful to go. I can't take wait to see it one day. Is Mallorca, is that the island off of? Yeah, what is it? I think it belongs to Spain, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, yeah. Like it's right in the middle. Spain. Maybe yeah. time for a war. Yeah, I know. There's some of those. It's like there's Corsica, is French, but it's right next to Sardinia, that's Italian. It's like some of these are strange. 
Sicily is right smack between North Africa and Italy, so it's like he's right kind of Italy, but he's also really close. So you can see how potential wars for these islands. Is there any travel like like across the Mediterranean? Like, do you go to Africa on occasion? I mean, nobody's going to Libya to hang out or anything, or Algeria. No, there are places that are you know touristy play like mm, they're sort of the ritzier places in some of these places. Yeah, of course there are. Yeah, there are tourists in all North Africa and so on. Uh, then occasionally there's uh, some insurrection, bunch of tourists get their throats cut, the people in the hotels are not so happy because they are losing business, so they are against the fundamentalist. The joys of globalization, politics, and religion for you. But, um, but yeah, man, no, Italy is great. I was um, up in the mountains above Lake Como. I had some serious George Clooney envy because he has his villa out in Lake Como, and it's as beautiful as a place as I can think is of. Is it the bottom of the Alps? Is that what uh, that is? Yeah, yeah, pretty much. And then the mountains around it, so you can be way up in the mountains and see the lake down there. You get these wow. crazy spectacular views. One of my favorite places on Earth is the Dolomite Mountains, even further into the Alps. Insanely beautiful scenery. I had a blast. I, uh, I just, my trusty and loved sunglasses are now at the bottom of an alpine lake because it started raining like crazy while I was in the middle of a lake in a boat and so I started paddling back like a madman in this I was under I don't know five weeks I probably hit 20 thunderstorms with thunder and lightning and the whole thing it was it was intense but yeah man I had a blast it was good it's funny that's one of the one of the few things I really miss about Nashville were those afternoon thunderstorms yeah are there lightning bugs in Italy? Yeah. Yeah, that's the right climate for them. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They like it moist. No, I dig Speaking it. of moist, this is a fresh moist episode. <laughs> I was like, where is it going with uh, this? Nowhere. Oh. That's it. Okay, good. I'm sure we have people to thank. Yeah, let's start with Datsusara, Onnit, and Shore Design, our three trusted regular sponsor. Um, as I'll mention later in the episode, yeah, my Italian vacation was, uh, it looked like a sponsor vacation because I was carrying products from all of them. I was dressed in Shore Design t-shirts, carrying only Datsusara bags, and eating random Onnit products. So it was uh, quite interesting. But then again, proving the point, we actually used the stuff that we... Luckily, we have sponsors there whose products we dig. After popping a couple of alpha brains, Daniele yeah. realized that his nipples actually were happier with his shirt design t-shirt. He reached into his Datsusura bag and took a picture of his happy self at the Mediterranean. Not that unlike what was actually going on. That's pretty much, if you see some of the picture, I really like my freaking Datsusura backpack, the shirt, it's hilarious. No, the, case, the Weed Strain shirts got a lot of exposure. They are great. They I are love great, them. by the way. Yeah. It's hard to decide which the best one is. I think I like the Acapulco Gold. Uh, that one is glorious. That and, is fantastic. Uh, and the Colombian one is... Both of those are, are just fantastic. Yeah, they yeah, just, yeah. You can just feel the uh, culture. I think they should come with a special blended joint of the precise, so you get to smoke the particular strain and wear it at the same time well certain delivery services do have the maui Wow available right now uh i don't know if my glorious friends from fly delivery england they'll are carrying that particular strain right now but yeah man those guys it's a have been time one. Oh no no not my kind I'm no me neither. definitely not my I'm kind more a sativa for yeah me, but, exactly but if you were you know to have some chronic pain or something and oh yeah want in to that get case, to sleep why not it would definitely do it you know yeah. maui how did we end up here already? We uh, in the fourth minute of the podcast. We're trying to push these shirts, man. You're they, welcome, Bennett. Yeah, they are great shirts. They are great. 
Absolutely. So yeah, uh, discount codes on that Susara on it and short design if you go in the episode notes. As usual, if you guys do Amazon shopping, please use our link first. That's much, much appreciated. And of course, uh, thank you to our affiliate sponsors from Curacao. So if you guys are in the market of choc- for chocolate, check again the links in the episode notes and Audible if you want, um, if your podcasting needs are not quite fulfilled, you want audiobooks or articles or the whole range of archive material that Audible carries, check out the selection, you get a free month uh, with the, using the Drunk and Taoist code and then uh, I believe it's $15 a month. But you get to try if you like it or not. Excellent. Having said that, shall we roll? A quick tiny Kiva update. Over $12,000 in donations, you guys. Over 400 loans. Check it out. You guys are really knocking it out of the park. So we put forward the next goal to try to get 25000 which is basically doubling what we have by Christmas time. But I think a fun way to do it is you can actually buy um, Kiva cards where you can put it in somebody's stocking or give it to them for a birthday gift or whatever, and then they cash in the loan and pick out one that they want and send it out. And just to give other people that, you know, haven't tried it a look at it. But um, amazing, guys. Uh, it's pretty impressive. It's funny, sometimes at the beginning of the month, if we get seven or eight new uh, members on the first day of the month, we'll actually be listed as the top um, new membership teams Check that out. on the site. So Team Drunken Taoist, uh, when you get there, you pick a loan, uh, you go to my basket. Right underneath the Lendy's name and country is a place where you can select your team. Please sign up for the Team Drunken Taoist and join your 100-plus uh, uh, fellow listeners that have already signed up and are helping folks out around the world. And that's it. Here we go. Fresh, moist episode. Rant of the day. So, a few years back, I was reading a book by this guy, uh, Houston Smith. You ever heard of this guy? Houston's mate, no. Smith, as in the most popular name uh, in... Sorry, I can't pronounce that either. But in any case, Houston Smith was uh, um, one of the most renowned scholars of world religions. He published some of these books that become like textbooks in history of religions for the longest time. Um, back in the day he had called it the religions of men in pre-feminist days so he quickly turned into the world religions or something like that eventually Houston Smith was a really good writer he um, experimented with LSD back in the early days in the 1960s during this like uh, really they were doing a study about checking the differences between a mystical experience and the mystical experience that was drug induced and basically finding that they could not tell them apart he was doing all this stuff sort of with the harvard crowd and the lsd crowd way back in the day with your pal albert hoffman precisely doing um he he ended up uh, writing these books insanely popular about world religions they weren't very historical but they were written so good you know he would go through each religion and try to be very positive about each one just like i do basically yeah and uh, 50 things available at amazon.com be sure to check it out and he was you know he, he they were really well written i like his stuff a lot 
So fast forward a few years and I ran into some of his later books that he published long afterwards. And I was reading them and he was the same super open-minded, same really smart guy, but something there had changed in his writings. Like he did this one book about the Native American church, which I want to go out on a limb and say called One Nation Under God. If I remember correctly, that's the title. He did another one um, about the use of um, one called the Cleansing the Doors of Perception. That's all about a series of essays about psychedelics and religious experience. That sounds pretty famous. I think I've heard of that one. Yeah. And he's, um, the thing that I notice is that in quite a few paragraphs here and there, he was almost defending hardcore fundamentalists. He sounded like at one point, even when he was talking about the Scopes trial, you know, the 1925 Scopes trial about the teaching of evolution, he was almost, he wasn't exactly taking the fundamentalist side, but he was sort of being their defense lawyer in a way. And I'm like, what the hell has happened? You know, he was super open-minded. He still is super open-minded based on all this stuff I'm reading. What What's going on here? I'm missing some pieces to make sense of this puzzle. And usually when you hear somebody who is defending people that they really don't have much in common with, it's because typically in a classic, the enemy of my enemy is my friend, is because there's somebody else that they want to hit at. And uh, they are just using this one group because the other group hate them. Specifically, what Houston Smith was having a problem with was what he referred to as a scientism. And uh, in his latest uh, books, this whole emphasis one on people who have taken the scientific route and gone so deep down that path that they turn into their own dogmatic approach to life. And so they think, who are their main enemies? Their main enemies are hardcore religious fundamentalists. Now, Houston Smith does not belong to either camp because he's not a super hardcore materialistic science. He's not religious fundamentalist by no means but so as a, in a way as a reaction against this uh, hardcore approach to science he was almost defending the weirder crowd among the religious ones clearly that's not something i would do and i find the whole uh, the enemy of my enemy is my friend a stupid mentality that never leads to good things and yet the more i read and the more i thought about it i'm beginning to see why Smith was doing what he was doing and what is that was bugging him so much. Was it after doing all these years of comparative religion studies that he was on the religious side, so the scientific community was more against him because of that? They were not against him personally, but the fact that he was not a hardcore materialistic science where nothing else exists, the fact that he is interested in spirituality, the fact that he is interested in things that are not measurable in a lab, automatically made him suspect in not him personally but the stuff he's into was automatically the kind of stuff that would be dismissed by the more uh, only what i see and what i can touch type of crowd and so in many ways he and i started seeing connection with several thinkers that i dig who in many ways come up with the same stuff i mentioned one during the cara santa maria episode paul feyerabend this epistemolo uh, epistemologist, this philosopher of science who had written this book called The Gainst Method. Graham Hancock. Graham Hancock is far from a guy who hates science. He loves science in many ways. And at the same time, Graham is one who, you know, his uh, band TED Talk was all in some ways about 
Um, his awesome open-mindedness. Precisely. And how people who are open-minded are finding themselves at odds with the scientific crowd. Now, how could that be? Because science is all about being open-minded, right? I tell you, the more we do this, the more it becomes apparent that science definitely is a religion. Right, depending on who does it, right? Yeah. There's like one scientist who's an amazing human being and uses the scientific method in a way to expand the range of knowledge and understanding of the universe. Staying humble, which is the only thing that allows you to keep expanding your knowledge. Because anytime you start getting digging in your heels and feel like I have it is when you're sure that you don't because you're missing the next step, the next discovery is the next. And on the other end, then you have the people who call themselves scientists who are just the same dogmatic freaks as religious fundamentalists. They just do it under a different guise. You know, I find the new you guys are devil worshippers, the new version of that is like, what is this pseudo-scientific who that you are peddling? And that to me is like, I hear the words and they sound different. And yet I feel like I'm stuck with some Southern Baptist preacher yelling at me about the devil. Because it's, it's the same message. It's the that same. We're, we got it right. We mm-hmm. got it figured out. Yep. And nobody else Precisely. could possibly, none of their opinions can possibly be correct. You nailed it. I'm, I have this equal allergy to anybody who claim to have certainties about the universe the last person you should ever trust is the person that's going to tell you the truth precisely right um what was it socrates when uh delphi coracle tells him he's the wisest man in greece and he's like why me i don't know jack that's why because the fact that you know that you know your knowledge is limited is what makes you wise yeah. when uh, you start getting cocky about it you shut yourself to what really is out there. You think you know stuff, and that's when you miss the point. And things go wildly culty at that point. Yeah. And my feeling about it's, it's not an anti-science thing. I love science. I don't dig dogma. And unfortunately, despite the fact that so many of these scientific people think they are anti-dogma, well, that's not simply the case. The readiness with which, like take the Graham Hancock example, the readiness with which some of his ideas have been dismissed by an academic crowd, by the scientific crowd. Now, are all the things he has written dead on? Probably not. There's probably, if he hit 50%, that would be a lot. But still, that's 50% of good stuff. Yeah, something to think about, something to make your noodle actually generate some energy. Yep. Those of you guys who don't know who Graham Hancock is, check him out. It's very cool. Fingerprints of the gods. Lately, I've gone on a podcast spree listening to all of his uh, appearances on Rogan, on Duncan, on uh, you know a whole bunch of different ones. That is he over-pushing the book? Is he back to Because he's got some big discoveries coming. He's got that stuff in Turkey that's going on. It's really yeah. exciting. He's doing a part two to Fingerprints of the Gods that's coming up. But beside his specific example, I find it interesting that... You know, I really appreciate all those who tread carefully and keep an open mind, whether they are more from a religious background, whether they are more from a atheist scientific background, doesn't matter to me. They are both, all of them are people I can deal with. All of them are people that we can explore the universe together with. Um, I don't dig the arrogance of those who we know how the universe works we if it's uh, if it's not within the good book it's not real if it's not something that can be replicated in a lab under very sterile aseptic conditions then it clearly is not real it's 
Fuck you both. You know, it's... Well, haven't you found in our short lifespans... Short. Huh, um, the unexplainable moments are the best parts. And they're so... I mean, if you haven't experienced a ton of things that you have no idea how to explain, whether by religion or science... You're you missing to, the boat. And you need to get out more often, man, because it's like, what have you lived through? There's a lot of stuff that happens that good luck finding a solid explanation for it, you know? There's... um. You ever checked out Alan Watts? The, oh yeah. yeah, Alan Watts is awesome. Have, have right? you heard his seventy? I'm sure you heard the seventy-five years speech. No, which one is the seventy-five years speech? <sighs> I will not do it justice, but essentially he says, imagine you were in full control of your dreams, mm-hmm. and each one of your dreams lasted seventy-five years. Well, the first couple of dreams, you would rule the world and you would march right. around and and control everything. But after a very little while, you'd get bored with that. Sure. So you would start to incorporate rules, like I don't know that I'm all powerful anymore. And things would get more and more difficult. And he says in a very short amount of time, you would be inside a lifetime that would very closely replicate the one you're in right now. Trippy Alan Watts, as usual. Oh, it's great. I wrote, for those of you who want to check it out, if you guys go on uh, the Datsusara website the, um, of our sponsor, there's one thing that I wrote about Alan Watts that's in there. So if you guys want to give it a read, I also posted it on Facebook. I created this public page under Daniele Bolelli. I put that the link in there and stuff. Alan Watts is definitely a guy that influenced my worldview a whole lot. I've been dead for a long time, isn't it? Fortunate yes. that he recorded so many of his, I guess, what was he doing with those? Was he just doing public talks and people recorded it? Yeah, just regular he's doing lectures? lectures. And one of the things that he said, uh, I found it a beautiful sentence, was he referred to a certain type of consciousness as the wisdom of insecurity. What he meant by the wisdom of insecurity is precisely the sense that because you don't believe that you own the truth, that you have the knowledge from A to Z, you have to constantly tread carefully in everything you do. It doesn't mean... Now, when we emphasize insecurity as a good thing, we are not mean a paralyzing insecurity, an insecurity that makes you be non-committal, that makes you be... Oh, I don't know. Yeah, it's like it's all the same, the same bullshit relativism where you don't act, basically, because I cannot know. No, far from it. It's you are acting, but you're acting constantly like you're crossing a minefield where every step is very deliberate and careful and you're... You're playing a very delicate game. Anytime you think, I know where I'm going, you know, it's like, so the whole wisdom of insecurity is not to emphasize that, oh, we don't know Jack, deal with it, haha, that's supposed to be a good thing. That's not a good thing. Is this idea of keeping yourself humble, even in the, the things that you cherish the most, your most cherished conclusion, the thing that you feel most certain on, Keep an open mind about that too. Probably you're not going to change your mind. I mean, if you have seen a mountain of evidence and that's why you have come to that conclusion, there's probably a good reason to come to that conclusion. But keep it flexible. Don't get so damn stuck up about it. Always have a couple percentage of question on the edge, even if it's just 3% of me. Absolutely. Case in point, somebody asked me when I was going on one of these um, difficult relationship with scientific dogma again not with science that's why i like Eustace Smith how he refers to a scientism not science is the dogma of science which yeah. is a whole different game in many ways is the opposite of science under a scientific garb somebody was saying well what about things like uh, global warming just because you feel it's not proven 102 percent 
and there's only 98% of consensus you would say you wouldn't do shit and I'm like no you're completely missing the point that's not at all what I'm saying I'm saying act and not because it seems like there's a lot of evidence for it even though that's clearly an important part but also because failing to act in that direction can be catastrophic so I mean if the evidence look like it's going in that direction even if you're wrong even if let's say you got it 50% correct and some of that current understanding of global warming is not correct who the fuck cares still you need to act in a way to make sure because it's like oh turn out we were wrong oops too late we're screwed ourselves it's PC suicide play it safe not because I'm so completely sure that everything we currently say about global warming is correct i'm not i mean it's funny how people argue about these things and the reality is that there are probably no more than two thousand people in the world who has really read the evidence back and forth up and down to have an informed opinion most of us have third hand opinions about these things because we haven't freaking read the whole scientific journals up and down in every which way and even if we have i don't know if we have all the evidence right there yeah but watching uh, glaciers disintegrate in 18 months is pretty epic you know that they're, does collapsing it. like uh it looks like an air mattress that's had the air and you know it's it's right. given up like 40 feet or 400 feet a year for the past that's 80 years that's and now I'm it's saying. given up a half a mile a year it's like when you see a bunch of glaciers going down looks to me like there's something there you yeah. know looks to me and looks to me that if by any chance you are not right in your opposition to global warming you just committed suicide because yeah. there's not it's not the kind of mistake that you can come back from and it's like oh turns out you are you truly were 100 right well too late now so to me it's like but again it's not really about so i'm not saying that you need to have 500 percent evidence for every single step you take far from it i'm not saying that i'm all for acting before you have fully formed conclusions in some cases when it's warranted but acting in a way that's always listening to the other side that's always listening to but what if what's the counterpoint what's the other viewpoint because ultimately that makes you stronger by embracing the possible critique of uh, whatever idea you hold in your brain i mean it's like in any discussion if you listen to what people who are critical of your stuff say some of it is just bullshit some of it mildly applies some of it there's maybe a good point that if you incorporate it now you have one less weakness that you know you had the day before because now you covered it now you took an element that's like you know you're right there was something stupid that i was going for let me borrow it let me fix it that makes it so much easier so i don't know my whole thing is that it's ideologies of any kind i mean even beyond the science science religion thing just ideologies political ideologies too are tools and like all tools they have some uses they have some limitations you know it's like rationality and science are extremely useful in certain contexts and they are not really all that useful in others you know, it's like holding on to this notion that one approach has uh, the can be applicable in all context. It's sort of like you know grabbing a hammer and using it for everything in life. I'm gonna use a hammer to hit a nail in the wall. Good job. I'm gonna use a hammer to eat pasta. Say, well, there's nothing wrong with the hammer and there's nothing wrong with eating pasta, but it's just not the fucking right tool for the job. You know, take something else. 
hardcore scientific minded prove it in the lab is very useful for some stuff and it really isn't in other contexts and that just as simple as that to me it, it's funny you think the scientists would be the ones and i guess you're not you're only talking about a small percentage of them anyway but what other profession gets themselves proven wrong at such a consistent basis of course i mean yeah that's the other thing is like which science the science that held a hundred years ago that yeah uh white people were the greatest of all and you could uh objectively categorize the intelligence of different ethnic groups you know that science the science that we are we're changing our shit constantly and that's good nothing wrong with it but again take it down a notch you know whatever evidence you have is like it seems like the evidence is going there but let's tread very softly on it you know so that to me is like i keep running into it and when i see the level of arrogance of uh that's when it gets gross that's where to me is like people should by now know well that i'm not exactly a friend of religious fundamentalism but at the same time this to me is the same well anybody who's listened for any amount of time at all though you've never once besmirched anybody anything they want to believe as long as they're not hurting someone else or stepping on someone else's toes that's the point that's exactly the point is that's that? how you make a peaceful world yep I don't give a crap what you believe or why you believe it. But don't bug me with it. Precisely. And don't hurt anybody over it. That's like, golden rule like these, right these there. These ISIS cats are talking about they're rounding up women. What are they going to do with them now? Right, right, they, right. They are the fundamentalists on the on the darkest edge of it. Mm-hmm. No, that's why to me it's like action matters. You know, what you do matters. And even then, let's look at what the ramifications are before you start casting judgment on some stuff. Some things are evil, and that's plain and simple. The action is evil. The people who are involved end up suffering for it. There's no argument there. In other cases, it's more complicated. But I don't know. That's why to me it's like labels, ideologies. You know, you're liberal, you're conservative, you are... That's religious, just put out there yeah, to keep us snipping at each other while the thieves walk out the door with the fucking money. Basically, that's the way it goes. That's exactly how it goes. So, it's funny you mention evil, though. Do you think evil is a creation of humanity? Or do you think it's a force that exists going, that we suffer? Going back to our latest Arthur Rosenfeld episode, maybe the Demiurge. Oh, don't get me. The, I'm, I'm, I'm so studied up on the Demiurge. The Gnostic theory that the it's, God of the Old Testament is absolutely real and it's a demon that's how to fuck up human life. Well, when you talk about things that have been uh, making people miserable for the past 2,000 years, right. number one with a bullet is religion. And again, messy, right? Because even then, I agree with you. On one level, there's certain kind of religion and certain aspects within religion that is like well, just, hard you know, to what's imagine. What's got more people some... killed? You know, maybe the Black Plague, but no, no. But there has been some horrendous. I mean, I've written so much about the nasty side of it, and at the same time, I can also acknowledge that there have been a lot of people within the very same religion that have committed horrendous things yeah. that have used their interpretation of religion to do amazing stuff. I know to improve the quality of human beings. To do so again, to me, is like. Christianity is good, Christianity is bad. <laughs> Christianity is good. How the fuck you employ Christianity is good or bad? There is no such thing as in general terms, in absolute objective terms, all of such and such religion is good or bad. Way more complicated than that. Yep. And uh, But again, that's it defies our stereotypes. It defies, We like to think in simplistic stereotypes where religion, it's either good or bad, science, good or bad. It's like... 
there are lots of individuals involved some are really good human beings and some who could use uh, an accelerated refresher course on how to become a good human being go to church or the devil will get you that's right well speaking of church maybe it's time for sunday school oh here we go Brothers and sisters, it's time for more Sunday School with Father Bolelli. I think we're going back to Genesis again. Yes, my favorite A lot of excellent stuff in Genesis. Very excellent. I did like Invisible Touch in 86. That was a pretty good record. (laughs) In this case, a different kind of Genesis. Oh. This one will entitle today's charming story from the pages of the Holy Book, Lot saves angels from gang rape then is raped by his own daughters so on that note let's see what the holy book has to say this is sunday school number three and this is our second rape i believe so and that's only because i don't remember what the other episode was and i would bet there was something similar in there wow no that one there was no rape there was just uh, Just daughter-in-law having sex with the father-in-law in exchange for a goat because yes all of that so yeah there's a lot of sex it's the bible is awesome the smiting is awesome too the rape part not so awesome no but actually rather disturbing in a lot of ways but um let's see how it plays out so one day god decide that he wants to destroy the city of sodom well if you have a name like sodom you are pretty much screwed already it's like the name santorum yeah it's just bad right and i mean the sinfulness of its people is such and as the holy book puts it because their sin is very grievous so god decide you know these motherfuckers have to go i'm gonna smite them get vegas stands smiting some Smiting time yes so however after a discussion you know he sent three angels in the shape of man to visit abram because he's one of the few guys he like in the neighborhood telling him about his plan and abram kind of start arguing with god it's pretty funny the old testament because there's a lot of arguing between prophets and god where they say come on god let, let's think this through before we go through with this you know and, and god sits down and have a discussion with them and they you know they go back and forth and in this case abram say come on you would be messed up to destroy the whole town if you could find 50 good men inside the town right and he's like yeah okay if you can find me 50 good men i'll spare them okay there aren't 50 good men in sodom i give you that but what if there were 20 he's like yeah sure i can so if they basically keep going back and forth until abram bring it the number lower and lower and lower and basically say if you can find one good person we can do something about it right so god says okay before i smite the rest of the town you have lived to i'll take care of making sure that um the one good person in town it's properly warned so that they can he and his family can get out where does this conversation take place are uh, they in a bar that's are they... the old testament is tricky about this there are occasional bushes and things like that for sure but this just sounds like they're having a conversation there are no some... cell phones maybe it's like a, 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 a feather covered halo cell phone of some kind well there are in the old testament a couple of moments where like for example after the whole eating of the apple in the garden of eden where they the old testament describe god stomping around in the garden of eden looking under every bush looking for adam and eve uh, many words. which is pretty funny considering you're supposed to be the old knowing power of the world and you can find some couple of guys who are hiding in behind a tree that's pretty funny but in any case 
So there's um, after this discussion, then God said, "Okay, okay, okay. I'll I'll warn the one good man in town, which conveniently happened to be Ab- Abraham's nephew, uh, by the name of Lot, and along with his family, I'll take care of it. So before the smiting take place, I'm gonna send a couple of angels to let him know that he needs to get out of town because Sodom is history." See, if they arrived at my house early to warn me, I'd be like, that's the fucking Jehovah's Witnesses, I'm sure. And go away! No, but we have a message from God. Go, yeah. I'm sure you do, but right. it's 7.30 on a Friday. I got 17 more minutes for the alarm. Please, go away. A lot, apparently. Maybe Jehovah's Witnesses were not hanging around that much in Sodom back then because a lot instead opened his house to them. he take them in as his guests. The angels, I guess, have a very human shape. Mm. And the um, problem is that while the angels are hanging out at Lot's house and telling him, hey man, it's time to get going and all of that, in the meantime, apparently, word has leaked out that there are these two guys who, have, who are visiting Lot at his house. And so a mob gathers outside of the house because, you know, nobody has passed through town in a long ass time and they are tired of having sex with each other. So there's a whole mob that gathers around. Because there's fresh genitals? Basically. You should. You guys should, at this moment, this is when I wish the podcast was a video podcast, because if you saw a rich face right now, it's the funniest thing in the universe. Well, it's just incredible to ponder. You know, it's like, hey, Lot! Who the fuck is in the house? But I smell fresh genitals in there! That's... I wouldn't say it's word by word, but that's pretty damn close, because basically the mob gathers around Lot's house and demand that Lot cast out the angels so that they can rape them. Yes. Now, this is about to get a lot better real quick. Lot, being a righteous man, refuses this offer, say, I can't, these are my guests, you know, hospitality is sacred, I can't possibly do that to my guests. But I tell you what, because there's a lot of you guys and you look scary and you're about to kick down my door and all of that, how about instead, I'm gonna quote from the Holy Book, just in case you guys are thinking I'm making this shit up. I have two daughters which have not known men. Let me, I pray you, bring them out unto you, and do you to them as is good in your eyes. Only unto these men do nothing. Meaning, let me cast out my two virgin daughters so that the mob can rape them, but please don't do anything to the angels who are my guests. Yeah, not making it up, I swear. That's silence you're hearing from this end. Yeah, it's, um, again, Genesis 19. That's where we are. So with that, the angels arrive, however, you know, they use their magical powers to knock out the crowd and make a safe escape without having to turn Lot's daughters out to the mob. Not that the thing, the thought seemed to disturb him a whole lot, but that's... Is there another paragraph about that? There's no... The angel said, Lot, listen, fool, we thought you were the good guy. Um, I don't. This is the good guy in town. Sorry, just to remind you guys, this is the good guy in town that's to be spared, right? If you need some young virgins, stop by Lot's house. (laughs) There should be a sign out there. Holy smokes. Yeah. So Lot and his family take off before the crowd can come back to when they flee Sodom. And uh, one of the the, um, instructions that the angels brought from God is that they shouldn't turn to look at the destruction of the city. Don't look back. Don't look back. Keep going. Lot's wife... Yeah, she's kind of curious. Start hearing the smiting sounds. 
hears all that and she decides to turn around. Cool. Well, God had told her not to look back when the city was destroyed, so the fact that she disobeyed, she immediately got turned into a pillar of salt. Not exactly sure why a pillar of salt, but in any case, I take it that's not a good thing. Before you know it, you know, your kids who are the surviving, they're gonna be using your body to spice up their meals and stuff. That that can be good. Why didn't she beat the shit out of her husband? Oh yeah, that part. We don't get to hear the Bible according to Lot's wife, so not entirely they seem to clear. Be skipping all the good points, because I can only imagine what that conversation sounds yeah. like. You're gonna what? Well, I mean, there's a whole mob out there. We can't turn the angels out for that. Why the hell not? These guys just got here. You thought they were Jehovah's Witnesses six <laughs> minutes ago. You two, out now. Yeah, it doesn't pan out that way, but you still got to be turned into a pillar of salt. So that's how it goes. Was it smiting magic or just sort of just, uh, you know, uh, it's some vampire sort of, style glamoring? Where they it's just... God's punishment for disobedience. Wow. So they travel for quite a while it really without is a salty tale. Is <laughs> oh God! Sorry, <laughs> came out. Let me weep you with a computer cord. <laughs> sorry, sorry, I repent. Okay, good. Now they travel for quite a while without meeting anybody, and after hearing of the destruction of the town they just left behind. Lot's daughters start panicking a little bit because they start becoming convinced that it's not just their town that got destroyed. They believe that the entire world has been destroyed and they are the last people on earth. So it used to be their father, their mom, and the two of them. Well, the mom is now pillar of salt, so there's only the two of them and their father. So it is so fortunate that Lot didn't get that vasectomy his wife had been bitching about. That's precisely where this is going. Talk about an anti-seed spiller. Exactly. This is getting more and more charming by the second, right? Wow. So in order to save humanity, what do they do? They get together, they decide, you know, we need to do something. So why don't we get, uh, Father, come here, there's a lot of wine here. Let's celebrate the fact Where'd that the we have... Where did wine come so, from? I don't know. They find it on... I don't know. You're so asking too many desert. questions. I'm sorry. God damn it. You need to be exercised the game. This is the why they were upset with Gutenberg. It's time, I know, because people start asking too damn many damn questions that people don't know the answers to. So, on that note, they find some wine, okay? It falls from the sky, it, they find grapes Seven Eleven, something, right? An abandoned 7-Eleven, poised uh, zombie apocalypse. This is uh, the Bible meets the Walking Dead version. Every Christmas is, or especially Easter... I know, there's a lot of that going on, yes. There's actually a scene in the, if you guys have never watched The Walking Dead, there's a beautiful scene toward the end of season two where zombies are everywhere and all of that, and there's this one old guy who's very religious who said, when the Lord told us about the resurrection of the dead, I didn't quite picture it this way, and I was on the floor laughing, but it's very fitting. But hey man, check that tomb, it's empty. In any case, yeah. And, um, so they figure, let's get our father drunk, let's have sex with him while he's drunk, and get pregnant. And I quote again, again, just in case you're thinking, come on, this stuff cannot possibly be in the Bible, right? Read it, chapter and verse. Exactly, let me quote for you. And the firstborn said unto the younger, our father is old, and there is not a man in the earth to come in to come into us after the... Um, is that C-O-M-E or C-U-M? C-O-M-E, but okay. then again, you can figure out why the transition from one to the uh, other King took James place. James has got a rough you know, translation to it. So, yeah, there is not a man in the earth to come into us after mm. the manner of all the earth. Come, 
let us make our father drink wine and we will lie with him that we may preserve a seed of our father and they made their father drink wine that night and the firstborn went in and lay with her father and he perceived not when she lay down uh, nor when she rose because he's just too passed out drunk basically this is again but luckily like, the equipment's working uh, apparently he's uh, some serious stamina because you know That's usually something else yeah drunk yeah. does not usually e- uh, equal a flagpole no but somehow lot is blessed by god i guess or something with what's also interesting is once again where does the seed of this idea come from from these virgins well yeah they are virgins they still talk to people They've heard a couple of things. Yeah, well, we had the question of where Noah's sons raping his. Uh... Yeah, that was the Noah story, right? There was yeah, there was another incest, not just rape, incest rape. Daddy raping. Weirder and weirder by the minute. Uh, repeat of the same story for the younger one, and um, blah blah blah. Basically, the same quote continues with the same story. Yeah, I did this yesterday. Now it's your turn. Now let's get him drunk again. You go, take care of it. Thus were both the daughters of Lot with child by their father. To add an interesting touch to this charming tale, among the descendants of this drunken incense... Three-eyed Charlie. ...would eventually be, well, depending on how you want to put it, King David and Jesus, since Jesus would come from the house of David. So, yeah, there's that. Um, You know, Jesus was a virgin birth. Yeah, in fact, that's one of the things about that's funny about the Jesus stories. Like on one end, he's supposed to be from the house of David, but on the other end, they would only trace the descent through the male line. Yeah, and Joseph wasn't really his father, so he's not really from the. Ho- in any case, Joseph. Gets, we'll talk about an understanding son of a bitch. Right. It's like, well, no, I never had sex with you, but I am pregnant, and it's because God impregnated me. You sure it's not because Ario Speedwagon was in town last week? Right, there are, in fact, even at the time during the first century, there were never-ending anti-Christian jokes about <coughs> uh, Roman centurions, about neighbors, mailmen, you name it. You know, there was a whole list of possibilities there. But, yeah, in any case. So, for those of you guys who wanted some heartfelt morality from the pages of the Holy Book, I would say that this story... Um, uh, doesn't um, fail to disappoint I'm getting lost in the double negations but it sounds about something good I there. did have about nine negatives yeah, there right so I, I'm just paralyzed with fear about what's going to happen next week so yeah, I, let's go on a limb more rape maybe some more smiting for sure that's a fact but I mean when was the biggest smite is there like I guess the flood was the, yeah, the biggest killing everybody on earth, but one family tends to get people attention. Yes, but whose attention are you getting? Yeah, because there's nobody left. It's just right? the six fuckers that lived. Is like I don't really remember. It was a while back, and somebody cut my dick off. So I'm. Yeah, there you go. There's your Bible story, children. Praise the Lord. I'm gonna go throw up. <laughs> I have a dream today. And now we cross the Ethereum plane for a visit into Bilali's dream time. Martin Luther King says he has a dream, and so does Bilali. Yes, indeed. This was a dream about the wonders of male anatomy. Ah. So. Remind me of my doctor story. <laughs> you want to share Turn to with the left. You want to share with the good people? 
I just had, you know, it's been a long time since I had a physical, so it's time to go get one, and you just forget, you know, how gentle and kind those gentlemen are. I mean, I thought I'd have to slip a 20 under the pillow or something after that. Yeah, but Rich just told me some story about the doctor just grabbing his balls and playing with them in the weirdest possible ways. I don't know what kind of doctor you go to, maybe in prison. Doctor feel good. That's probably how he works in prison, but normally most doctors don't do that on a regular basis. Maybe he just likes my smile. Yeah, that's like, I don't know, there's something disturbing about that. All right, this will turn into some urban legend now, so moving on. So, Wonders of Male Anatomy. Now, this is... A fact of male anatomy is that a fully erect penis can contract, in, can contract in such a way as to lift up and down. If you guys do a good squeeze, you can see the whole thing move in one way or another. So it's nodding right now. Starting from this very fact, my um, in my dream, I strike against another genius business idea. I had one not too long ago about the targets for right wingers for shooting. This one involves uh, the development of penis weights, which is a tiny set of miniature weights to be tied to the appendages of male anatomy. Why not just have tiny kettlebells and you just hang exactly, it? Exactly, exactly. And then you need to contract and lift, balls. basically, precisely, right? So that way you lift um, <laughs> in fully erect status. Now, I'm sure I can convince about 7 million guys to try them. <clears throat> it seems like there are so many people in the world, 7 million don't seem like a no-brainer. You know, in my dream, I've already seen commercials where there are like a couple of really hot women in bikini saying, you rock my world. And the other one going like, I could never go back to a man who doesn't do penis weights. And um, of course, before you know it, you know, there's going to be in the papers stories of overachievers who attached pounds upon pounds and ripped everything they had off because you know they just decided to overdo it a little bit there'll always be some asshole at the beach that's like like getting girls to jump and flipping them into the air with it and yeah like a tiny like diving a trampoline, board exactly yes but i thought the penis weights were like a genius business idea that it could not possibly fail once i woke up i wasn't quite as sure about it but in case some of you guys decided to develop such it would be great if you give me a percentage someone's gonna hurt themselves I'm afraid that was what was happening in the dream. There were newspaper titles. I'm amazed there were still newspapers in my dreams. Well, only in dreams, were probably. Were spinning up? Yeah. Nuts cracked in half by... Exactly. It ripped me out of my body. Yeah. Men tried to attach 25 pounds and... Mm, yes. Don't do this at home, people. These are dreams. Odd ones at best. Yeah. I got nothing else on that. Holy smokes. Yeah. So there was that. La, 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 la. <laughs> I love you, baby. The lovely song of Big Hawaiian is must be time for a story about little baby is who just had a birthday. Five years old. Can you believe it? She changed so much just in the last three months. It's like another person completely. It's, it's a trip. It really is. That means the tattoo is like 13 years away. <laughs> she actually did uh, put tattoos, but are known after I explained to her how real tattoos are made. She was like, tattoos that last forever? This is awesome. I explained to her how they are done with needles. She wasn't so keen on them anymore. She was very pleased with her temporary tattoos now. Very nice. So one day I see her. She's putting together some of her toys. And I point out that in this Lego thing from Merida, you see the movie Brave? 
mm-hmm. um, right? I point, point out that she may have made a mistake because I'm like, look, it looks like you place Merida's bow the wrong way. You know, the arrow is pointing toward her. You should turn it around the way it points away. She looked at me and she's like, I didn't make a mistake. It's the right way if she wants to shoot someone behind her or if she want to kill herself. Ooh, easy now. A little dark, probably accurate, but slightly dark. In another instance, under the file, yeah, don't piss her off because she's... When I told her, you know, it's... Um, uh, when she was asked about whether she was uh, she was doing some crazy stuff, swords and jumping from buildings, again, not real buildings, made up buildings and <laughs> games, but, and I was about to say not real swords, but well, let's keep on that part. She, um, she looked and somebody said, oh, are you playing a being a ninja? She just gave this scowling look and was like, I'm not playing being a ninja, I'm becoming a ninja. Nice. I was like, damn right is. Forget playing. Don't let anyone fuck up with your dreams, right? In ninja it is. Let's make it happen. It's good to practice. Yes. So these are the super quick two is a story of recent memory of the last few weeks. Did she have a good time back in Italy? She loved it. She had um, she had a blast. She had my dad. Uh, my dad is freaky. Like he can pay. I remember with me. Oh, you know, I spent time with Isabella and, you know, as much as I adore her after three hours, I'm wiped out. You know, there are only so much playing I can take before I can rewire my brain and make it work on like what I'm used to doing and then I can go back. So I love playing with her. I get tired. My dad is like with me when I was a kid, he would play with me all day and still be fresh by night. I see with Isabella, he play with her every moment of the day and it's fine. I'm like, what the hell, you know, talk about giving me some serious parental inadequacy feeling. I feel like, how do you do that? You know, it's in any case. So yeah, she had a blast. She had everybody's attention. She had my dad playing with her. She got to hang out again with my 90 year old grandmother. Nice. Um, so do you, have, you get some nice shots of four generations? Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's always awesome to have. Done that. So. Well, it's funny, you know, your dad's got to squeeze a lot into a little bit of time though. So mm-hmm. I'm sure that's got a lot to do with it. It is. He's probably wiped out when he sneaks to the bed and no one's looking. Yeah. No, I mean, with her, yes, it is, because he doesn't spend as much time with her. Yeah. But I remember him doing pretty much the same thing with me, and he still could be pulled it off, and he was with me all the time. So, I don't know. Some people are wired differently, I guess. That's for sure. But good for him. As, um, But, yeah, it did make me feel, having that in mind as a parental model, when I, you know, even just when Isabella was tiny, I was like, how do you do it? I mean, it made me feel like, does it mean I don't love her because I'm so freaking wiped out after two hours? Or it's like, so I had some serious guilt about that. But. No, no reason to be guilty. See, he he lives in Italy where people understand that there's more than working 97 hours a week and having one week's vacation every two years. There's that, or I think he's just, uh, you know, pumping up on speed or something to be able to play like crazy just to prove a point so that I feel inadequate. Really, the bastard's mission is to ruin my self-esteem that's what it's all about mission accomplished it's story time everybody brought to you by your friends at sure design design t-shirts 
those awesome, nipple-pleasing, fantastic. I see. Which one you got? You got your Super Silver Haze? Yep. That's an awesome one. I think, I've, have you seen the Urban Poison one, the South African one? Yeah, there's some glorious stuff there. I've great. um Yeah, man, the, the, my trip to Italy, I think I had, I was there for five weeks, and uh, in my bag there was one T-shirt that was not sure design, that I was particularly affectionate to. Other than that, every single shirt I had was sure design. I look, I swear, I look like a living billboard while I was there because I had a backpack, a computer bag, another bag, they were all that Susara. I had every shirt I had were all sure design. I had, you know, only products of me. It's like, but that's also um, proving the point that we don't mention these things just because they pay us the big bucks. Ooh. Not exactly, but you know the it's because we like this stuff that's why you know it would be hard to uh, be sponsored by some things that we don't like that we don't use that we don't dig that would be really weird well i mean that weirdness would be we could easily overcome it if there are enough zero after the initial one or two or five or whatever that may be no problem what do you say monsanto oh you million beat me to the monsanto <laughs> joke that's almost unfair <laughs> But yeah, no, luckily so far... Or this story time brought to you by Halliburton. Right. Well, Happily bombing Iraq again already. Oh, man, the one time that I don't throw something in which there's not blood and fighting and stuff, it's going to be today's story. Well, we still, we're still recovering from the Bible story, so... Yeah, that's true. There was plenty in there. So, okay, this is a sports story. Not even that long ago, so it may not be like the proper setting for mythology, except that it is. No, don't worry, I'm not bringing up anything related to the World Cup, which was freaking painful to watch. I I swear, even watching the, the final of the World Cup, I, I swear, I tried really hard. I mean, I only watch soccer every four years or something, so I usually the World Cup I enjoy. The most exciting epic moment of the whole World Cup final for me was when I went on YouTube and watched an old Muay Thai fights while the World Cup final was going on. So, yeah. No, sorry, I was not so thrilled with it. I, I think the worst part is when Mexico got robbed by yeah, the Yeah, they did. Mexico's Because that would have really been well. fun. That could have changed everything. Because yeah. we see what Netherlands did. Yeah, I know. In any case, I, I dig the fact that I think I grew up in a world in which globalization was not so in full swing. So to me, when in the universe would I ever see on TV people from Honduras going at it against people from Japan or something? The World Cup was like the most exciting thing in the world because of the exotic element of it all. The fact that you would hardly ever see people from, these are not people you'd see down the street back in the day in Italy. You know, everybody was from Italy. There were very few people that were not. You would hardly see programming that was about. So the World Cup was an exciting moment for me, showing me that there's a bigger and wider world out there. In any case. I love the event. And in, uh, it was fun to watch. And some of the games were great. Yeah, when you're not watching the games, it's a lot of fun. Some of the games, man, some were good. Yeah. And others just painful 90 minutes of frustration i think the biggest problem might be fifa though i mean second only maybe to the olympic committee for just yeah i mean the bureaucracy of it all and the mafia of it all it's amazing but in any case not soccer that was a really long-winded way to say not that not that what are we talking about then 1997 nba finals the good old michael jordan days now, this is one of the stories that is not about sports, or rather, sure, it's about sport, but it's about something 
much much more than that it's uh, a story that become known as the flu game because what happens is is the nba finals chicago bulls against utah jazz they are after winning a couple of games uh, chicago is now tied 2-2 with utah utah won the last couple of games they are on a roll and it's game five if utah by any chance managed to win this one they are taking giant strides toward the upset and the problem is that the night before the game michael jordan got horrendously sick food poisoning who the hell knows what happened he gets so freaking sick that he's like he's dehydrated he has a crazy high fever he has this nasty stomach virus he woke up at 2 a.m the night of the game he's he was like lying in fetal position there when the trainer arrived in his hotel room sweating like a pig hardly had the strength to sit up in bed let alone anything else and they said yeah sorry man there's just no way you're gonna play of course and uh yeah good luck recovering for the next game but this is where it's at so jordan managed to get out of bed at 5 50 p.m which is just in time for the seven o'clock tip off when they start the game and he through some heroic effort of the wheel he managed to get on the court and against all expectations he decided to play despite the fact that he's still in the middle of it all right crazy high fever the whole deal the beginning of the game is, is it's obvious that is office game you know he's clearly weak he's pale as hell he very little energy the utah jazz begin to kick chicago bulls ass royally they are ahead 16 points to, in the beginning of the game slowly jordan start picking up and before you know it start hitting shot after shot after shot to the point that close to the end of the game in the last minute they are really close and uh and this is like a freaking hollywood script or something where you know seconds to go jordan gets the ball outside of the three-point line he shoots the three-pointer that's going to put the bulls ahead that's what's gonna make them win the game the second the game is over jordan collapses in the arms of a teammate just pure crazy willpower and nothing else those are those moments where the athletic gesture it transcends sport it's not about sport it's about heroism it's about just balls of iron and just somebody who's there's a quote by the movie critic uh, Roger Roger Ebert is that the name Ebert mm-hmm. he said something he said I wasn't moved by the victory that's only basketball I was moved by his bravery you know and that to me is what the whole flu game was about like that to me is what sport is all about do I really care about some dude chasing a ball trying to dunk it into a basket or trying to kick it through a goal it's not all that but what happens is that in sports there are many many moments where there are chances for these heroic actions you know they're not gonna happen every game they're not gonna happen even every year but when they do it's beautiful to watch and the jordan thing is like i don't care if you don't give a crap about basketball that's not the point it's about seeing somebody who is just every door is shut in his face and he finds a way to open it up anyway it's beautiful it's what heroism is all about now the fact that you're applying to a basketball game that's secondary it's take it symbolically and you can apply to a million other things but that to me was one of those uh, sport meet uh, legend kind of moment where it was just too cool to bear 
I remember seeing a picture of the Jordan shot, this iconic Jordan shot that he's taking, and you can see he's up in the air, the ball just left his hands, and you can see everybody behind the basket staring with, there's all the Utah public going like, <gasps> and there's one guy who's already seen where it's going that has his hands in his hair, and there's everybody else who hasn't quite figured it out, the wheel in about a quarter of a second. Awesome. That was like, it's beautiful right there. Um, did I ever tell you about when my dad uh, interviewed Jordan? No. Yeah, once... Um, tell me he was nice to him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was um, some... I forget what magazine in Italy asked him, oh, we can get an interview with Michael Jordan. Do you want to do it? I was like... Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So he went there and he said, you know, they had 40 minutes, something like that, together to just hash things out and... My dad said, you know, I've never had an inferiority complex toward any human being on earth. That was the one time when I know what an inferiority complex feel like. The just because he's so gigantic or? No, just because the dude has an intensity in everything he does that he say, this guy could do anything and he would be unmatched the intensity. He's like, he's sitting here for an interview and it's probably how many times has Jordan been interviewed in his life? Like seven gazillion times. And he's just staring at me with just complete 100% focus. Like that, nothing else exists in the world in the moment but that interview. Wow. And he's like, Jesus Christ, this is how this man lives? This is not just how he plays basketball, this is how he lives? Wow. You know, and uh, so, yeah, I remember my dad walking away feeling very impressed with <laughs> Mr. Michael Jordan. So did you ever watch that game back yeah. in the day? Oh, yeah. That was... It was amazing. Yeah. He was amazing a lot of times. Yeah. It's funny you were talking about the World Cup being different. I um, The Dodgers played the Angels last night. Mm -hmm. And these interleague games, while they're intriguing and cool, used to be they would not have any possibility of meeting each other except for the World Series. Mm. And I don't know if, now that we're 20 years into it if something's been removed from it. Right. Because uh, it had that same sort of feel, you know, like, wow, they might actually meet at the World Series and the Freeway Series yeah, and that course. sort of stuff. Now it's just, you know, the White Sox play the Cubs every year and the Mets play the Yankees, and right. which is cool, but it seems like something's been taken away. Baseball is one of the things that, man, not having grown up in U.S., I tried, I swear I tried to like it, I just couldn't get it. The only way... You could possibly have any enjoyment is to go. And also to me... Live like, is pretty fun because it's more chatting in the, you know, the people around you and right. drinking a few beers. and The whole point of if somebody hands me such a beautiful object such as a baseball bat, mm -hmm. the, the thought that I'm supposed to use it to hit a ball and not my opponents just puzzled me so much that yeah. I, that's that just you don't a get to take it with you the first to smack the first baseman if yeah. you got the ball. It's it like, could have been a whole different thing. Yeah, it's like that could be a... Uh, Take the same field, the same uniforms. Well, the uniforms are kind of sucky, but whatever. And the bats, that can be a very interesting event. George Carlin used to have recommendations to improve baseball, and one of them was randomly placed landmines. <laughs> Looks like Puig is going to... Oh, no! <laughs> Bomb seven! Yeah. No, and again, back to our gladiator for world peace idea. That would be an awesome... Turn baseball into... <sighs> Hamas against the Israeli army. I Here we go. They have bats and they go at it away from everybody else. No civilians involved. Enough is enough, isn't that it? That would be 
much more pleasant. But then again, that was our Gladiator for World Peace episode, so uh, we won't get into Netanyahu it again. Netanyahu up front and whoever the head of Hamas is right. having to lead their 100 guys out. Yep, and exactly. whoever wins, wins. Yep. Sticks, swords, and skins only. That would be my idea, precisely, on pay-per-view. Leave the civilians out of it. Our little mention of, of evil, created or otherwise... How many children did they kill last week? That's the thing that I hate about the whole thing is that people, because warfare, the way it's set up is, you know, back all day warfare was pretty genocidal and, you know, we just slaughter everybody. There are no civilians. You are on the other side. Tough luck. Today, there's the idea that you're supposed to protect civilians. But the reality is that war is war. You don't really do it very well. It's very hard to do it well, and even if you try, you're going to fuck up anyway, let alone when you don't try. And both sides equally to blame in places. I mean, I saw this thing where Hamas would sneak out and he'd have these little tents to cover him from satellite coverage. Sure. And some guy would come home, come by with a rocket fin, and some guy would come home with a tube, and some guy would go... No, and Damas will put their right thing next right next to a school. That way the Israeli will bomb it, will end up killing kids. They will look like assholes, which they are for some stuff. Hamas are assholes. For, it's, like, yeah. it's like on both sides, there's so much nastiness and horror. And these assholes should be really locked in a stadium, allowed to go at it with each other, away from everybody else. I just don't understand how they can keep them confined that way. Yeah, leave the civilians out of it. That would be like the... Turning war into that would be a giant... Again, I won my Nobel Peace Prize for this when yeah. it finally happens. That way you leave all the people who don't want to be involved in it out of it. And you could have weeks of, you know, build-up and excitement. And, you yeah, know, trash talk. Looks like Putin will be leading uh, his yep. 150 favorite troops. Yep. The prize is the Ukraine. Precisely. And that's it. It's done. Good times. How did we go from Michael Jordan to this? I don't know. Well, you know, it's been, been five weeks. A lot's gone down. Indeed. I did. I was, was definitely wondering what you thought about all that, though. It was yeah. Just, disturbing as uh, hell. It's just. And you can go, it's like every four years. Mm hmm. Whether no, they need regular. to or not. It's regular. It's. Uh, and they'll continue. That's why I'm like, they'll continue forever. Get everybody who want to fight it out and do it to the last man, leaving every single civilian out of it. Because this is a game that they keep doing for the next thousand years without really any sign of stopping. I have a fig tree update. Do tell. Well, as you know, I've often pondered why Jesus was so mad at the fig tree. Right. Apparently, fig tree had to go. It had not been producing for years. Mm-hmm. So it was a waste of space and had to be destroyed. Did you read it on some website? That, or was, that was the explanation it was given to me by a Christier person than myself. Wow. Okay. I didn't buy it, even with my flexibility. This is getting weirder by the minute. I just love that Jesus had a bad day and smited it. That's that makes it even. That makes it better. That makes it for a good subject for a future Sunday school. There we go. That was the most eclectic. That was weird. Time ever. Yep. Dear Drunken Talus, if you're going to do story time, I would like it just to be one story. Right. This rambling, mamby-pamby bullshit is disturbing me and isn't worth the money I spent to... Oh, wait a minute. They don't spend any money. Yeah, there's that. What a concept. Listeners, let's have a moment to talk. It's time for y'all to get a dollar out of your pocket and go to the PayPal... And send it to your friends at the Drunken Dallas Podcast. 
We are two years into this, and we happily provide you with wonderful entertainment to get you through your horrible commute so you can ignore your wife while you watch Project Runway, whatever it does for you. But the time has come. We have proven ourselves. We've been on time every, every, every 15 days for two years. So it's time for some Bolelli and Richie Bond appreciation. We ask for one thin dollar from each of you. And we know how many of you are out there. So we're not being greedy. We yeah, just need some new headphones. If there were about, if every listener donated 50 cents per episode, we could basically retire just doing this and nothing else. Well, let's not pretend and get dreamy now. That right. would be too awesome. No, but in any case, and again, a lot of you guys don't have the money. Totally understand. No biggie. You guys let other people know that's sweet. You just enjoy the show. We are thankful for that as well. But yes, whenever some of you gentle souls toss a few dollars our way, is always very appreciated. Shall we roll with digital mail bag? Time to unzip it. Look at all this good free advice you're getting. Not so free anymore, <laughs> is it, friends? Indeed. Let's roll with Zia Fukuda out of the woods of Oregon. One of the things that Zia say in the, um, in the question is regarding sort of personality types. If somebody has a very empathetic personality, have a lot of very sensitive, um, in a lot of cases it's easy to feel this as a source of weakness because sensitivity can often translate into pain, into suffering, into being, you know, little things can hurt you a lot. At the same time, it can also be a strength. And, you know, that's something that, it's understood right there in the question is not even needing to be addressed but part of the question in a way is like if you are sensitive how do you keep yourself from being swallowed by all the negativity that you are surrounded by or uh, if you do have empathy for people if you do have sensitivity how do you make sure to stay clean from all the shit that's floating around you and you don't take it in and you don't absorb it you know you don't put up a wall because that would be negating sensitivity and empathy but at the same time, if you're not defending yourself against all of it, how do you not let it just drown you? And uh, clearly there is no how, you know, it's a tricky one. It's difficult. There is no recipe that one can follow. And it's like, you just do this. And what you if you got one of them big plastic bubbles? You can walk? <laughs> that I, that's exactly where I was going with it. So I'm I glad know. you beat me wow. to it. No, I mean, some of it, it's a tricky business because is. um Sensitivity is both a strength and a weakness. It is something that you can, anybody who's sensitive, especially early on in life, before they figure out ways how to deal with their sensitivity, they will get hurt by that sensitivity over and over again. That's a fact, you know. If you feel things strongly, there are a lot of nasty, little, ugly things out there in the world. My boss is mean. Yeah, things that people say, things that even just plain injustice that you witness every day that get to you at a deeper level that it will touch somebody else. You see somebody else suffering, not even you, but because you are empathetic, you can relate to that. You feel somebody else's pain. There's so much pain all around you. Was it that movie The Green Mile? Where the dude is like... Who absorb the pain. Yeah, precisely. And and that's a fact. At the same time, it can be a source of strength, precisely because you know that you can... Um, precisely because you are able to feel what other people are feeling. For one, 
it's easier then to uh, find ways to relate to other human beings and it's easier even if you have something to say to say it in a way that other people can hear you it's also a source of strength because by being sensitive that means that you get to experience a lot more that people with less sensitivity do somebody has to go through a lot of personal experience in order to drive some lessons somebody who's sensitive does not have to go to the same degree of experiences because they can gain a lot of that through second-hand status because it doesn't feel like second-hand it feels like you are in somebody else's skin so there's certainly that as far as how to make sure that this is not what drowns you there's um, the last chapter of uh, on the warrior's path second edition there's one that's about nietzsche failed friendship quest for self-perfection and other unlikely elements that make up the title that to me of anything i've ever written that's probably the most meaningful chapter of all is the one chapter that to me is more personal more to the core of not only my my journey into martial arts but in many ways my approach to life and it really boils down to some of this element that zia is bringing up here is like how do you deal with this hyper and sensitivity in a way that doesn't crush you in a way that doesn't become a weakness that fucks you up in a way that becomes a strength because <clears throat> some of the coolest people i've ever met have that sensitivity but a good chunk of them would end up in psychiatric wards or on drugs or whatever because it's too much to handle. There's just too much emotion, too much feeling into everything, too much, again, back to the green mile, it's like, I'm too much evil I'm taking in, you know, there's that sense. So in some ways has to do with that ability to find your moments of happiness in everyday life you know find what feeds you what is that gives you strength what is that give you happiness and have that ready source so that if external events are sort of turning off your fire you know exactly how to start it back up you know exactly how to nourish your spirit in a way that gives you that energy that then allows you to use it in other ways and um the other level, as paradoxical as that may seem, is not to take things too seriously. Right in the midst of when you're trying to help people and make a change in real life. It's like, how do you have this hardcore commitment to making a difference in people's life and at the same time not take things too seriously and roll with it? I don't know how you do it's not a one two three step but it is something that you when you have it you can feel and that makes all the difference because otherwise in one case you know you are very sensitive but you want to shoot yourself in another case you are all uh, jokes and games but you don't get any meaningful done in your life so walking that line between uh, optimism and commitment to helping other people while at the same time not being squashed by the million failures they are going to experience along that path that takes guts that's well the dalai lama says the only reason we're here is to be happy mm -hmm. because if we weren't here to be happy then we should all just kill ourselves and be done with it and while it is terrible you know number one turn the news off once in a while right you can't fix the whole world yeah and you're not responsible for the whole world. Right. But you do owe yourself a little bit of happiness in a day. Mm -hmm. So if people locally, your boss sucks, your boyfriend's mean, whatever, you're going to have to deal with that. 
but you don't have to carry the weight of the whole world on your shoulders. Mm-hmm. So in there, you should be able to carve out at least a little me time to be happy. Yeah, big time. It's that uh, strawberry, the Zen strawberry, right? It's like once again in the middle of the war situation, still find ways to be happy, and because the odds that you're gonna be able to accomplish every goal you set, make the world a better place, everybody lives lives and sing happily by the campfire. Yeah, Good I luck. Mean, yeah, you try to make a difference, but the odds are if you make a two percent difference is huge. Um, so. You can't wait to be happy until the day when these things work. You have to figure out ways in the middle of it all. As EQ, my idol, would put it, joy in the midst of desperation. Um, It's a skill. It's tough. And it really, there's no way that anybody can teach it to you other than through your own personal experience. You may probably grasp it indirectly by looking at what somebody else is doing. But there really is no recipe because logically we're missing some step there. There, sh- there is no logic that should lead to that. There is no logical further step that say if you do this and that, it will lead to the state of consciousness. There's some leap there in logic that we're missing from uh, two and two somehow end up resulting in eight. It's like no, it doesn't. Well, it does because we're missing some digit in there. But I don't. We don't know what the digit is. It's too subtle to pin it in a simple way by the way in case you're wondering the digit would be four and two and two make eight because you need four more but i think you an algebra there yes that was very talented in any case second question matt nickel what the hell should i do with my life that seems like quite an appropriate question now in more specific terms you say i'll be graduating college with a degree in biochemistry breaking bad breaking bad breaking bad i see breaking bad appearing and um, until this year, I've not considered any path other than going to graduate school and getting a PhD. Um, then, you know, I think podcast ruined his life because by Joe Rogan, Duncan Russell, Chris Ryan, Aubrey Marcos, the whole, you know, the message that has been picking up among many of these podcasts is the salt or the idea. Would you rather do something you hate with someone you love or something you love with someone you hate? Now, I never really heard that concept, but I'm sure it popped up in some of the podcasts. Partially, he's a little bummed out by the fact that the, that kind of word, an academic biochem word, is not exactly populated by the kind of people he would like to be around. Well, welcome to the world, because the part of the problem is that the... Like, one of the questions is, you know, where have you find, found the most inspiring people? out there is there any particular field that tend to attract them more than others now clearly there are some fields that are probably less likely than others you know when you are dealing with uh, how can we squeeze money out of poor widows to inflate the profits of some evil bank yes probably the number of awesome human beings are going to find in there are not going to be extremely high hedge fund manager doesn't really strike somebody as you know mother teresa-esque yeah so there are clearly some environments that are more or less leading to that but at the same time part of the problem is that yes unfortunately we're talking about there is no such thing there's like in every single field the majority of people will be eh, all right you can put up with it whatever well i i, I can't help but wonder why why he went down the biochemistry 
road to begin with. I am. That seems pretty specific. Yeah, definitely. Um, and, and you obviously have some sort of enjoyment in that, or yeah. you've been torturing yourself in school for four years. No, my guess is that the field, he digs the field, yeah. he doesn't like the people attracted to the field. Oh, if Monsanto's I'm... a great company to work for. <laughs> you can figure out how to make seedless plants so that one day we have nothing. Right. <sighs> now, to me, it's I like... think everybody faces it, don't they? I mean, and what are the percentage of people that actually end up in their career path from school i mean yeah that bachelor degree it's a certificate of trainability that here's the obstacles you must complete these things in this amount of time and get all these things signed and pass all these things that show up to these people for four or five years ta-da right but beyond that i don't think you really leave them with so much expertise that you couldn't put together in two or three months training for something else ah, i completely agree you know my take on schooling so yes the I lessons of agree. college very few of them are in the classroom definitely at the same time you know if you really dig a field like as you put it you know if you pick somebody so specific like biochem and you clearly must have some enjoyment There's for something it, there for it then freaking do it and because the fact is how many fields are you going to find where suddenly the percentage of cool people is so sky high that Probably not that much, you know. There's, I really can't think of any one field where I love the people who are into that one activity. Not really. So it's like if uh, the people who are into the field are annoying nerds that you want to have nothing to do with, they well, get some cool friends. Yeah, exactly. Just uh, pick up a sport, and that's where you meet somebody else who's cool. Or pick up, a, and even there, it's not like you're gonna get along with many people. Is in many ways, yeah, be dedicating yourself to multiple activities. Some may be for money, some are not for money and is not career-related at all. Like podcasting. Right. You jump into, you get people that you wouldn't run into into your usual day job. Yep. And uh, you can make connection with the special individual weapon to be in that one place and the special one who's in the other. Now, are they all going to be cool in that one place? No, not at all. But by interacting with more environments with more words that your one workplace you multiply the odds Big that's time. where it's at for me personally i think call like picking teaching college was a big deal that's kind of like i ask myself the question same question like who do i want to be around and uh, college made sense to me because on one level i noticed like when i was a kid most of the people i enjoyed hanging out with were older than me by the time I was in college, they were about my age. And by the time I left college, they were younger than me. Part of it because the with each year that goes by past your college days, the amount of life in people starts shrinking. By the time they pay their first bills, by the time they are starting, that sense of possibility of wonder, of let's try things, starts shrinking progressively. And I find less and less life. So yes, the 30-year-old something may be more mature, they are also more dead. And if that's what we mean by mature, I want no part of it. So teaching college for me was cool just because the percentage of people who show signs of life tend to be higher than in other environments. And if you're just getting out of school, maybe it's time to volunteer somewhere for a sure. while or go join the damn Peace Corps for a couple mm -hmm. of years. You know, go see the world, go somewhere, do something, interact with people you're not used to. Right. I mean, how many of the world's problems could we fix if everybody had to travel to a different country every two years? Indeed. Just get to know each other. Yep. I yep. found yep. that most folks from around this world, you know, even people in New York and L.A., are pretty decent people. 
Oh my God, New York. Sorry. Yeah, New York. Not all of them, for sure. Not all of them. I have a weird New York LA story. First time I ever came to US, um, my English was, if at all possible, worse than it is now. I know it's hard to imagine it, but yes, it was indeed so. You have an accent. And yes, I in California, I would speak in my troglodyte way and people would be like uh, you know you could tell they were trying really freaking hard to understand what I was saying right and they were rolling with it and I remember in New York multiple people now I can't blame them because my accent was indeed if now is bad back then was like something horrific in ways that it's hard to describe but I remember yeah New York the typical response was what did you say you know, there was not what are exactly, you talking about? Yeah, there, which is funny because it's East Coast. There should be more used to an Italian accent, yeah. but mm, not so much. Bellelli in the Bronx. Yeah, didn't go so well. But in any case, so there is that. Either, yeah, teach college and hang around uh, joyful young people or jump through many different situations and structure your life in such a way that you're not tied to just one place and one world and those 20 people in that one office and multiply the possibilities and i just i can't can't impress enough to just get out there and try something Most the, definitely. the thought that you're going to drop into your dream job the second you get out of school is madness yeah i like uh, there's it. some of us that are still looking mm-hmm. but you gotta do something you might as well try some stuff out why not do we solve anything? Of course. Every okay. time. Good. Zip. Well, between all these stories of father raping and, and, and being accosted by my doctor and my physical this week, I may just need to go to lie down after all that. Do that. It's quite an episode. You're already lucky that you haven't been exorcised in this particular episode. (laughs) When the the exorcism of Rich took place a couple of episodes ago, I was in Italy when I was checking, listening to the episode to make sure everything was cool with it. My dad listened. He's like, what the fuck is going on on your podcast? You exorcising? I'm like, yeah, yeah, he needed exorcism. You know, he's like, don't worry (laughs) about it. It's all good. But... Today, since it's been a really long time since we mentioned donations, um, let's go on a butchering rap. Let the butchering begin. So here we have, um, among the people who have donated. Now, there are a lot of really sweet people who started doing something that I never thought of, but I should mention it because it seems to be catching on. Some people are doing recurring donations. So I guess they go on PayPal, there's some crazy special buttons that I don't know yet, but I'm sure you guys are more technologically savvy than I am. You set up, you pick up the amount that you want to go out every month, the drunken Taoist, and that way you don't think about it, you do it as a monthly thing. Very sweet. Uh, we really appreciate all the people doing that. We also appreciate the people who just do a one-time thing and are sending us the goods. So here we go. We have... Um, taking a guess is a French name, but not sure. So Sebastien Maingot, maybe probably not um john attebury who's uh, one of our recurrent donors and so is aaron mclaughlin amos kingfisher angelo defeo um let's see known some of these guys i don't know if they're recurring or not but in any case vasco poposki andrew laurie chris talent adam la rosa 
Stuart Browning. Stuart Browning did a pretty funny thing. She, he decided, he donated, I think it was the only time he donated, but he decided to donate one dollar for every episode we had done so far. So wow. that was pretty sweet. Thank you so much. Was that Chris Allen before that, did you say? Uh, we had Chris Talent. Oh, okay. We have... Uh, as a, I think it was our first recurrent, I want to say, Desmond Colton out of Australia, uh, Jay Wilkes, David Matthews, Dave Matthews, maybe? What would you say? <laughs> maybe, I'm sure that's the one. Um, Terry McLen something, McLennan, McLennan, Mac something, in any case, something strange. Lindsay Hunter. Uh, Alexander Kostner, recurrent donor, Aaron Dutil, uh, Mackie Colesman, and his friends at the Bonobo tribe. Hey. Um, Thomas Robinson, John Toombs, T-O-O-M-B-S, I guess it's Toombs, I'm not sure, and Austin Reed. So that was our summer donations. Million right thanks, there. everybody. It's fantastic and definitely appreciated. Absolutely. And one more thank for Daisy House. As usual, let us use the music for our intro and outro. And they released the second album. I haven't checked it out yet, but it's out there on their website. And the website is you can find it through our episode notes. Anything else we need to touch on? Not much. It's good to see you. Glad you made it back safe. Indeed. Many more episodes to come. We're a month away from the, year, the beginning of year three, everybody. And damn, it's a little better than it was the first time. Nah, we're awesome all the time. That's true, too. Have a good week, everybody. And so ends another awesome episode of the Drunken Taoist Podcast. Be sure to keep your ears peeled for another mind-expanding episode coming soon. We'll be tweeting you as soon as they come out. You can keep track of Daniel at dbolelli. That's D-B-O-L-E-L-L-I. And you can find me on Twitter at richimon1. That's R-I-C-H-I-M-O-N, the numeral one. See y'all soon. In questo cazzo, in questo caso, le provvidenza di Dio. Duncan showed you the way, huh? Oh man, isn't that scary to think? Nice. So don't kill people, do that instead. <laughs> <laughs> this was great. It's fucking awesome. Get back to work.